Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Mr. Hatch. You look nice and tan coming back from Thermal Club. Glad you <laughs> yeah. enjoyed it out he, there. He, yes. Saw yeah. some of your peers. It was great to be out at Thermal Club, even though I wasn't there. Um, well, your house looks just amazing that you had to build yeah. within five years of yes, you know, paying like six figures. That, that uh, gift from an African prince really went a long <laughs> way for me. It's that oil money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As always, thanks for joining us. Uh, not really a whole lot to get to from the Test at Thermal Club other than will they host a race one day? Maybe, but I think there's a long way to go. There really wasn't anything that was noteworthy to come out of the test after uh, we recorded last week. But And look, if you want to dive into testing times and overanalyze the, Have the, at it. the testing times, you can read all about it on the internet. We're not going to do that because it's a track, A, they don't race at, B, there's no comparison, and C, this is a weird track where it, it doesn't even have like a a good like baseline to take it to because it's flat and it's a longer track in length and they, they just simply don't have tracks like that. Very much a just shake the rust off. Shake the rust off for teams, drivers, crew, all that stuff. I put no, no um importance on testing times or how I don't care where they finished I don't care about any of that stuff yeah a, a lot of people were like well Colton Hurt is fast duh uh Kyle Kirkwood was fast okay Errol McLaren was gonna be fast yeah Graham Ray Hall was slow okay uh, Augustine Canapino had surprisingly good times okay again you never know what their testing program what they're right. trying to do they're not all out there trying to get outright fast laps, and you have to keep that in mind. So, yeah, I wouldn't read too much into it. What would I read more into? Uh, P1 at St. Pete coming up here yeah, in a couple weeks. That's what's most important on on track, for sure, is once we get to St. Pete. So glad everybody got out to Thermal, yourself included, shook yes. the rust off and all that, but don't really care about where people were. No, n- not at all. Um, so Connor Daly getting a Daytona 500 shot. We'll get to that. Indy 500 double points are no more. Uh, we'll also get to that. Plus, uh, a rumor, you know, I've kind of held off on this because I keep forgetting to mention it, but uh, a rumor on a, a third OEM that I've had for a, a bit mm. that I will uh, get Here we to go. that's always fun. There's some good stuff in the mailbag, uh, racer.com, not for this week, but for last week before the thermal test that we did not get to last week. So some interesting nuggets there. Plenty to dive into, so we'll get started. First off, I think the lead story, I mean, you could go one of two ways, but I think Connor Daly getting this Daytona 500 shot is definitely interesting, and the different nuggets come out of it. It's not just the Daytona 500, is that he could run a total of seven Cup Series races this year. Great opportunity for Connor Daly. The qualifying for the Daytona 500 Next Wednesday night is front row qualifying. The duels will be Thursday, so you'll have to tune in to see if Connor Daly can make the race. I always just find it absurd that to make a race, you have to finish uh, at a set spot in a race that's so unpredictable. Uh, To me, it just doesn't make any sense. I prefer single lap qualifying, but there are convoluted qualifying things. I mean, first off, you have 36 charter members. Which are guaranteed. And then you have Jimmy Johnson, one of the non-charter cars that will probably make the race. So that's 37. Then that leaves three spots because it's 40, not 43 like it used to be. And, and you're basically at the whim of if, if some idiot crashes into you and takes you out of one of the duels, you're screwed. Yes, and it, it's, it's a tough ask. Now, the money team, uh, TMT Racing, Floyd Mayweather, former boxer, uh, he owns the team. The The sponsorship, BitNile, comes over. BitNile.com will be the number 50 Chevrolet for this entry. This is a very tough road, and I think people just assume, oh, he's going to make the race. Yes, he has a, a cup start uh, Roval, under his belt. Right? But that was the Roval at Charlotte last fall. But this is pretty tough. So, again, mentioned Jimmy Johnson with Legacy Motor Club. Travis Pastrana with 23XL, one of the better funded teams. And he has a lot more cup, ex- or not cup, but just NASCAR in general experience than Connor. 
Zane Smith of Front Row Motorsports, Chandler Smith, College Racing, Austin Hill of Beard Motorsports. There could be a couple other entries as well. So what is that? Six guys going for yes. three spots? Six for four, assuming Jimmy Johnson, you know, is basically a lock. Okay. He's not a lock, but I'm just saying he will probably make it barring something crazy happening. So it's not a given that uh, that Connor Daly can make it in the race, but I think what we're seeing is is the thing that points out to me and what Connor Daly has said in the last couple of days is the dedication that Bit Nile has shown to Connor Daly and who to that team and being approached by the likes of NASCAR teams or Formula One teams and Bit Nile sticking in IndyCar, which is a, a great thing, and sticking with Connor Daly. So as volatile as the cryptocurrency uh, landscape can be. Uh, the fact that Bitnile is is still dedicated to IndyCar is is pretty cool, and Connor Daly in particular. And I can imagine that this deal doesn't come together without Bitnile being at the forefront in terms of sponsorship. Yeah, Nathan Brown of the Indy Star with a good article talking about that. You you got to remember. So Connor got this sponsor. He was in Las Vegas for his thirtieth birthday. That's right. Uh, this would have been like a year and a couple months. I think it was like in November of twenty twenty one, and. He had a meeting and it ended up being the meeting that, you know, gave him, you know, a chance again in IndyCar to continue after uh, the Air Force went away. And so now Todd Alt, who's with Bitnile.com, the CEO, Connor saying Todd is super loyal. Obviously, that's been helpful because there have been people going after this sponsorship. And and look, cup cup teams, you get it. Um, F1, you got to remember some of these F1 crypto sponsors went away. And so these teams are scrambling to kind of fill that niche market, uh, that's been popular in motorsports the last couple years, really since 2020. So all in all able to stay with not only Ed Carpenter racing and Connor Daly, but expanding to VK and Ed Carpenter this season with bit branding on all three cars. It shows the commitment that they have to IndyCar, which is great. Yep. And also to Connor Daly getting this opportunity. So it's not just the Daytona 500. He'll also run at Coda for Cup. Then the IndyCar races go figure a week later at TMS uh, in Fort Worth. Then uh, he'll do the IMS road course in August double. So he'll do the IndyCar race, then the uh, NASCAR race on the crossover weekend. So there's at least a day in between um, since he won't be running Xfinity. Also, uh, as far as other races, Nathan Brown points out Sonoma on June 11th, Watkins Glen August 20th, and the Charlotte Roval on October 8th don't conflict with IndyCar weekend. So those are other possibilities as far as the up to seven cup races Connor Daly could run. And could Connor Daly eventually end up in NASCAR in some capacity if the his his performance doesn't match up with with what teams won in IndyCar and I think we we can all agree that Connor Daly is has gotten plenty of opportunities in IndyCar to showcase what he can do and if teams decide that that isn't good enough and he has to move on maybe he takes these this relationship to to cup so uh, a very good opportunity a very big opportunity for Connor Daly yes and you know you look at his career he's kind of been all over the place as far as an IndyCar even going back, I mean, 10 years now, which is crazy. I mean, his first Indy 500 was in 2013. Uh, wasn't in the sport in 2014, did a handful of races in 2015 for a couple of teams. Has bounced around a bit. Seems to have found a stable home with Ed Carpenter Racing and uh, was fifth the IMS road course last year. Sixth in the Indy 500 led a lot of laps so you're seeing some progress and and we saw what he did in 2021 at Indy as well so you're seeing some progress but overall I mean it's a great opportunity but the focus still has to be on IndyCar it should be considering that's his his full-time gig but at least uh for for Daytona 500 week we'll uh, have a rooting interest heading into at least qualifying and see if Connor Daly can put it in the show yeah, we'll see what happens. Elio Castroneves turned down an offer to make a run at qualifying uh, with TMT Racing. So uh, Daly gets the call, and this is something that came together fairly recently, it sounds like. It didn't seem like it would be a possibility, but they have the sponsor, they have the team. TMT made the Daytona 500 last year uh, with 
Casgrala. Casgrala. So there's an opportunity. They've at least started in this race. But again, looking at those other drivers, so Nathan Brown points this out, uh, Austin Hill and Zane Smith have a couple of cup spart, uh, starts. Zane Smith won Xfinity and Truck Series races at Daytona a year ago. Uh, Travis Pastrana, uh, good resume. Obviously, Jimmy Johnson. So it, Chandler Smith, it'd be his cup debut, but he's run dozens of stock car uh Starts third place in the truck series championship last year. So, I mean, he it's stacked against him. Just being honest, it's this will be tough, but if they get there, they'll have an opportunity and, and we'll see what they can do. I, I hope he makes the race. Making the race in and of itself would be an accomplishment. Anything can happen at Daytona, positive or negative. But going back to Elio Castroneves, do you think at some point he does? the Daytona 500 tries to qualify. Do you think he just turned it down because he's still a full-time driver? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I also I think, so think he, he probably want another race and testing and, and everything. Like he wants to feel like he's got as good of a shot as anyone, as far as experience in the car and, he, and outside of running SRX, which is, I, I don't know if it's comparable, but it's, it's the closest he's come to running a stock car. Yeah but that's not running a stock car at Daytona in a restrictor plate race. Well, I think also Elio Castroneves sees the writing on the wall and knows that he needs to have a bounce back season to keep that ride. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, both he and Simon at Meyer Shank Racing, yeah. you have to think the pressure's on. They could have a completely new team as far as driver lineup in 2024 if those two don't perform. And for Elio, ultimately, ultimately it's about performing at Indy. If he has a good run at Indy, finishes top 10, and the rest of the season is is okay. Even finishing mid-pack in the standings, he's probably fine. Now, for Simon, I think there's probably more pressure to get podiums and top fives and top tens. Well, I, I look at Elio and maybe... I, I think he probably sees the writing on the wall if he has another subpar season. Yeah. I could see him, even if he has a good performance at Indy, being a guy that's an Indy-only guy for Shank going forward. But uh, Simon is still, you could say, in the prime of his career or or close to it. He needs to have a bounce back season. Was it Penske? Drops down to Shank. And now if he can't make it work at Shank, then where does Simon Pagino go? Sports cars? Or does somebody else pick him up an IndyCar? Could we have a swap where he just runs the Indy 500 for Meyer Shank, but swaps with Tom Blomquist uh, to, to go over to the IMSA side? And Blomquist comes to IndyCar, which seems like a realistic possibility in 2024. Yeah, definitely. So I think both the guys are up against it. But coming back to it, I think Elio Castroneves knows, hey, I need to have all focus on my IndyCar career and this season because it could be his last in terms of full-time competition. So Connor Daly will tackle Daytona. We'll see what happens. Best I could see, and, and this is crack research, Nick Yeoman <laughs> of IndyCar Radio pointing this out, I saw on, on his Twitter, but the last full-time like active IndyCar driver to also run in the Daytona 500. You got to go back to 1993 and Al Unser Jr. Who ran for, guess what? Hendrick Motorsports. Huh. Not the Hendrick though, you know, at that time. Yes, but still popular name, of course. So, um, cool, cool opportunity for Connor Daly. We'll see what he does with it, but very much comes down to luck at this point at daytona yes so we'll see what becomes of this opportunity and uh, again i don't even know if he's going to make the race we shall see but it's an interesting thing to to see play out and gives me a reason to at least be more than just a, a passing interest in the daytona 500 if he were to make the race i'd like to say i'd have more interest but we'll have to see come a week from sunday yeah, no, I I totally get that. So that's a look at Connor Daly trying to make the Daytona 500, and thankfully no one uh, stole a sponsor because they gave him this opportunity, <laughs> and he was pretty much, yeah. look, I, I get it. He said, if I had this opportunity and turned it down, I'd probably regret that forever, and, and rightfully so. I mean, you, you have that chance. You may not ever get it again, so you just got to go for it. It's a great opportunity. We'll see what he does with it. So that's a look at, uh, I think, story number one. Story number two of the week 
not a huge surprise. I think it's more just relief that it finally happened. <laughs> We're, we've been very against this, but IndyCar dropping double points for the Indy 500. Uh, they still plan to offer qualifying points from everything I understand, you know, for the fast, what, 12, like 12 to 1. Yeah, that's all right. Which is fine. I get that because you need to at least have some importance on that. And if they're not going to increase the pull award ever. Yeah, right. Then it's still going to pay <laughs> what it pays. Then at least give some points to, to give guys who qualify well and, and gals a better a better day as far as what they do in the race. But dropping double points, they've had this in place for a while. I, I'm trying to think of when they added double points. So I can't think of it off the top of my head, but it's gone down to the season finale for points every year since what, 2003? Yeah. Uh, or no, 2000, just, it would be 2006. It doesn't seem, it, it's not needed. And we, we've said it, the, the, the Indianapolis 500 should stand on its own and you don't need any added value put on the race because it's already that important. And you you make it to where it's really a double whammy for people. If you don't have a good Indianapolis 500, not not only does it hurt you because it's the 500, it also hurts you in the season and hurts you double. And so the last thing I don't want to, I want to be worrying about, and and this goes for fans, drivers, teams, when it comes to racing in the 500, is oh my gosh, what's this going to do for my season points? It's do everything you possibly can to win the Indianapolis 500. So. For me, it's it's long overdue. Uh, double points has been in effect for the 500 since 2014. Yeah, it seems like 1914. Yeah, it seems like it's been a lot longer than that. But Jay Fry said this in the release. While double points of the Indianapolis 500 has not altered who won the season-long uh, championship, occasionally it has had a negative effect on the final posi- uh, position of the full-time teams. And I think that's that's what they're getting at, is you want to protect your full-time teams if you crash out or have an issue and finish back in you know, 25th or worse, it's a really bad day. And especially as you have 27 entries for every other race weekend at a minimum going into the season. Yeah. So right? that makes it even worse because you're getting like, what, five points for 27th place? Yeah. So it's, I guess you can word it like that, but it's still stunk. Like you look at drivers that have terrible Indy 500s. It completely takes them out of the points race, the points championship in a lot of respects. So you look at Graham Ray Hall last year that just, it, it was done. His season was basically done. And after the 500 in terms of competing for anything in terms of a championship. So I'm glad it's gone. I hope I'm glad it's not a storyline. It's, it's one less thing to worry about around may. It, it should be in a perfect world. I, I know it has to mean something, but I'd rather have it mean no points than double points. That's me. And this comes after they dropped double points for the, the season, fi- yeah, finale season finale fairly recently. So yeah, that's been only what, three years, two, three years, n- not even because I think Laguna Seca had double points as recently as 2021. If I'm not mistaken, I'm I'm going to going to look that up because it's one of those things where they they got away from that and I think it was the right move. So 2021, I think maybe in the first year they did not do double points because, um, yeah, I think it's been last year. Wasn't the first year they've got away with, they went away with it. So I think it's the second year that they haven't had double points in the season finale. So you go to 2021 long beach season finale, looking at, points so they didn't they didn't do it then so maybe it's 2020 i i don't know i i will find it eventually because i think that that's a new change and a lot of people were happy with that because it also was one of those things where it, kind of like faking drama right yeah it was very much contrived for sure and, i think it's been, it's been at least two years and i'm just i'm glad that they got rid of it because it just it's not really something I, in my opinion, that was necessary. So they got rid of both of those. I think it's good. And I get people can go back and forth on other contra- controversial moves of the past couple of years, like double file restarts, for example. Those are exciting, but obviously the drivers and teams hate it. Because they couldn't handle it. Yeah. Couldn't handle the driving respect that they needed to do with double file restarts. 
but I'm glad this is going away. I think it's the right move and I get it. And we'll get to poll results and what people ought to say on that in, in a bit later on this episode. But it, it's one of those things where it's a necessary move. You still allow qualifying points for the 500 and you move on. I, I just think this is one of those things that was way overdue. And you can get way into the numbers. Nathan Brown, IndyStar.com has a, a good read on the impact in, of double points in years past. But overall, I think this is the right move and I'm glad they made it and we can move forward. I, I get that people want to say, well, any 500 is the most important race and it should have the, the highest point value. And I, I would say it's already the most important race based anyway, on the yes. sponsors, number of fans in the stands. like it already prestige, means a big deal. The payout, obviously. Yeah. The payout is massive compared to all the other races, which just get a pittance, basically. How, uh, if you win, how long after the Indianapolis 500 winner wins the 500, do they even give a thought to, well, it was a good points day. <laughs> like, you, never days, never because it's probably like, the next week when they're asked pre-race at yeah. Detroit or wherever, where it's like, Oh, and you're in the championship. Yeah, you're leader. now the championship leader. Oh and yeah. Like, that's oh, it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Great. Yeah, that's, that's nice. After the whirlwind, after winning the 500 for a week, like really, it doesn't matter. No. And, and the payout and the media attention and, being on the Borg won or trophy, like all those things are enough, I think, for these drivers. Now, now it's less about, hopefully, <laughs> I always hate this. Oh, it was a good points day. And I'm like, you didn't win the race. <laughs> it's not a good points yeah. day. This is not NASCAR where it's like, yeah, it was a solid top 20 day. Like, I, I don't like that attitude where they're. Well, that's almost them trying to, trying to maybe convince themselves of an opportunity lost to win the Indianapolis 500 is... Yeah, oh, but when you say it in an interview, you're putting it on record. No, I agree, but I almost think that they're saying it out loud trying to convince themselves as well. I, I guess so, but it's just one of those things that like, okay, no one's thinking no about one it being a good or bad point state. Now, if it's a bad point state, yeah, I guess you're thinking about that because not only did you crash out or have some mechanical issue, but then you just you saw your championship hopes dash because it's a double points race. Double so, whammy, right? So that aspect taken out of it, I think, is just as or more important as the winner getting a big boost. Now, Marcus Erickson proved it last season that he was a championship contender for most of the time up until the final, right. you know, two races or so. He was in, in in the thick of it. And yes, the double points help him. Absolutely. But that's going to help any Indy 500 winner with how they had that set up. And while every driver and team approaches the Indianapolis 500 at its, its own thing, I do think this will help at least in terms of teams maybe trying some things they wouldn't otherwise, uh, maybe taking some bigger swings at things, because while you're trying to win the 500, sure, there is part of you that's like, man, we can't completely miss this and, and finish 31st, right? So now maybe there's a little bit more of a risk factor with drivers and teams in terms of trying things, or hey, we're going to take a swing at this and either we're going to hit it out of the park or we're going to completely whiff, but the fact that it's no longer a double points race, at least it doesn't hurt us as much as it would have in previous years. Yeah, like if you had a bad qualifying spot and you're trying to at least you know, finish between 10th and 15th to try to salvage something yeah. if you're starting you know, in the last row, for example. Yeah. And I get that some of those times, like Will Power a couple of years ago starting in the last row, they'll eventually find their way to the front because they're they're good drivers. But like you said, it's a way to try to balance that out just a little bit more. And I like to think, at least personally, that drivers are more willing to go for it late in the race. as Even as little as they're thinking about points, at that point, it's still in their mind a little bit. Thinking about, screw it, I'm going for it because it's not no longer a double points race. So we'll see how that plays out. But again, maybe this is another thing to help entice more one-off entries because it's just less reward for full-time teams. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if, if, if that would, if this impacts one-offs, I think it just impacts the drivers that are your full-time guys not being punished for a bad weekend. We shall see. Uh, I just, I, I'm glad it's over with that. We don't have to talk about it. And it'd be a talking <laughs> point Thank going God. into Detroit because that always factors into the points discussion. Yeah. Well, that's 
that's what NBC falls back on, right? Is okay after the five hundred, they've 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 completely exhausted their opportunity uh, to talk about. So they need something new to talk about, and that's when uh, they start talking points. Which conversely is when this podcast starts talking points. Is for the first time is when we're coming out of Indianapolis. So we will join that party around the time that NBC is going. Oh crap! Now what do we talk about? Oh yeah, we can fall back on points. <laughs> You can always fall back on the points yes. conversation. And All take right. a take a drink on and every time somebody has asked in the first two races or so uh, how bad the, <laughs> that the race the was for their points. Yeah. <laughs> We're two races in. Chill. Oh god. <laughs> if if they didn't ask a single points related question before Detroit, that would just make my day. And the pre race and post race interviews would last like forty five seconds. Total, because what would they ask? You know what happened on the track? <laughs> what a novelty! Yeah, that, talk about that stuff. That's just my opinion. But yeah, how many times do we that. see at St. Pete somebody spins out early? Oh, they're going to take a hit in the points. Well, remember in twenty twenty one was it was, it was Joseph Newgarden? Newgarden. Yeah, yeah crash at Barber. Yeah. yeah, and it was like, come on, it's the first oh, race of the ridiculous. year. Ridiculous! <laughs> Don't get me started. Oh, lazy journalism. All right. Well, if you agree or disagree with us, especially on double points, because I'm sure there will be uh, responses on that and we'll get to more on that in the mailbag. But we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list. You'll never miss an episode or any special announcements we have. We also have T-shirts and stickers for sale on uh, the shop page there as well. So uh, get your stuff in time for the start of the IndyCar season coming up here in just a couple of weeks. And you can become a patron via Patreon, be a supporter. We have uh, different supporter tiers that start at just $1 a month. Thanks to Xavier, Rob, and others who are supporting us. Patreon.com slash new track record is where you sign up for that. And you can also interact with us social media. Our Twitter is IndyCar Podcast. Uh, same handle on Instagram, Facebook. Just like new track record. Search for that. You can email email us uh, new track record podcast at gmail.com. And as always, follow us for free and listen for free on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Castbox, Player FM, what have you, all for free. Okay, mailbag time, Justin. We have plenty to dive into this week. Okay, what do we got? So we start off talking about uh, double points. Go figure. Huh. Uh, a, a poll. What How do, do you feel think? about IndyCar getting rid of double points for the Indy 500? 70% and a lot of votes in this poll, over 100 votes. 70% said love it. 30% said hate it. A few uh, a few replies though. And by a few, I mean a lot. <laughs> uh, Thompson 419. Can I have a third option of hate it times 1,000? I saw that and I'm very interested in the reasoning on why it's mm-hmm. so terrible. Uh Oki Shatan, I'm sure I butchered that. Neutral. I did like the way double points mix things up. Uh, Laser Disco, drop the double points, but quadruple the purse. There we go. Now we're talking. Bill Hesse, don't love it or hate it. Just wishing I could have watched spring training. Let's start the season. Fair. Uh, Big underscore Knicks K12. I'm indifferent. 500 does not need to be special. Although I did like seeing some drivers that probably would not have been high in the standings get a boost from the 500. The 500 does not need to be special. Well, is this a card owner in 1994? <laughs> We're taking our party to Michigan Speedway. <laughs> uh, JSH will. It's a good thing, but let's adjust the points for qualifying so the full field is awarded. Qualifying and racing at Indy are completely different, so I don't see this as making it double points again. I would, I would be on board with 33 points for the poll all the way down to one for 33rd, which I would they too. did. Did they I, recently? Um, they had. Am I wrong? I don't think it was thirty-three points, but they had. But um, f- they had points for everyone. I would be perfectly fine with that. I would too. I'm on board with that. Yeah, because just making the race in and of itself should be difficult and should be rewarded right. more so than being in the race and having a good result. Because you're already rewarded with that via the purse. Correct. That's kind of the point. And people say, well, the drivers only get 40%. You know what? 
how their contracts are set up is up to them, yeah. their manager, the and the team the they contract, drive for. Right? So, yes, exactly. Uh, Poet Shevchenko, just when I start to be comfortable getting angry with IndyCar, they go and do things I like again. <laughs> That's what they do. They just throw a bunch of crap at you and just, you're on the, the, the edge, the precipice, and they pull you back in. I mean, you, you go from not being able to watch the test, which, whatever, I, I would have paid you know, five, ten, even twenty dollars to to stream the test at Thermal Club and IndyCar. I think needs to do a better job of looking at revenue opportunities for things like that. Sure. If you would have charged a, you know, five, ten, fifteen, twenty dollars, and even just getting say a thousand people, I think they get more than that willing to pay. I really do. I, I think you get several thousand, and it's a way for some income. Now, is that going to make up for the cost? No, but considering all the broadcasting, you know, cable was laid out, and it was a last-minute change, you're at least recouping some of that cost, right? I, I'm talking like a hundred or two hundred at most, half a million dollars. But that would cover the cost, right? Yeah, you would think. But then again, IndyCar is used to being uh, vilified for people having to pay $5 a month for Peacock and true, no side-by-side and actually having to watch commercials. Yeah. Well, you can get Peacock. There are deals for Peacock. I have it this year for $0.99 a month. If you're a Comcast subscriber, Xfinity subscriber, which is obviously Comcast, you get it free. There's even another service I think you get it free. So... There are options. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, run underscore mark underscore run. This is These are repri- replies to last week's episode posting. Something, something forward, something F1, something OEM. Hey, <laughs> that's this week's episode. We're going to get into OEM talk in a bit. Uh, Indy Oreo, so much positive and important news to report. Well, last week was rough. Uh, Hunter's Way 67. Hey, guys, nice episode. Regarding my picture from Thermal, I was on my way to Phoenix with my son. We took a detour to check it out. Needless to say, we couldn't get in. We couldn't even see anything either. Very private. Armed guards at the gate. That sounds a little scary almost. A little uh, <laughs> intense. Intense. Uh, Bauer Racing. You forgot to mention my favorite annual content day announcement about Foyt's new engineering edition. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> True. That is a, a fan favorite. The annual story. A fan favorite that will never go away. Uh, uh, Chris in the Six talking about the, the Foyt number change. It's not that 14 or 88 are bad, in quotes, numbers. What's bad is the optics of 14 and 88 together because they both have ties to the Nazis. Yeah, you kind of want to avoid ties to the Nazis. Yeah, I, I get it. I The fact that I was clueless makes, like, I'm glad I was clueless. Yeah, you're glad you're clueless. <laughs> as opposed to, I was wondering what those 14 and 88 tattoos were. Glad, glad that's not a conversation we're having. Yes. Uh, Poet Shevchenko, Ford is bringing hybrid and battery tech to F1. On topic of IndyCar OEMs, would it have been a better idea uh, to have a turbo V8 that is either single source or BOP'd in open development on hybrid electric? They're now doing the opposite. Uh, basically, what I read about this Ford move is that it's actually going to be a like steep hill to climb with their F1 move. Very much, from what I understand, it's going to be very much hybrid-based in the technology that they're focused on and battery power and all that stuff. So... Uh, yeah, they're they're not necessarily delving too much into the the engine at large as much as the hybrid aspect of the engine and battery power. So, but hey, Ford sees value in it. Who am I to question it, or anybody else out there to question it? Is look at the amount of impact it's gotten and 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 uh, media attention it's gotten, like. People at Ford may already be thinking this has already paid for itself in terms of the impact we've made around the world with Ford being talked about. And that's just simply something that IndyCar doesn't have. It's true. And Ford is, has a history in F1. So that plays into it. Now, new F1 fans are clueless about that. But Ford was in F1 as recently as 2004 with the Jaguar team that Bobby Rahal, I think, actually like was the team manager or something. But that was a Ford uh, engine with Jaguar branding in 2004. I think Justin Wilson was on that team one of those years. Um, mm. But it, it, that was a failed project, to be honest. Uh, it, it did not go well, and they tried. But Ford was kind of, kind of one of the backers on that and did not work, but... They tried. Mark Weber, Christian Klee, and the, the, the drivers there. 
for the the last run in that. But so there are ties of four to F one that I think people just kind of forget because it's been you know twenty years since that was in in play, and they ran F one back in the day for a long time. Well, it's very much a new generation yeah, of, of fans. fans yeah. that you're trying to reach. And that's what Ford sees. Can't blame them. No, no, you cannot. And go figure, they had uh, Red Bull on the car. Mm. I think. Yeah, yeah, they did have Red Bull as a sponsor on the car. So go figure. <laughs> Red Bull's come a long way. In Red Bull's been around for a while. And in yeah. fact, they were with Ford in like 95 yeah. in F1. So mm-hmm. there's there's a long history there that's, I think, surprising to a lot of people. Speaking of OEMs, uh, this is from Tyler underscore Allen. I still wonder how IMSA can get so many, yet IndyCar can't get someone to build 15 engines per year. I'd love to see Ford and Toyota, and that would lessen the burden on everyone. It would be cool to see Nissan and Infinity back again. It, it, quite simply... It sounds easy enough, yeah. but that's millions and millions of dollars of development. And, and, and someone even responding, um, see Gertzel... Uh, because IMSA doesn't have an engine formula. They let the manufacturers yeah. run whatever they want. That's why you have Acura running a 2.3 liter twin turbo V6, BMW running a 4 liter twin turbo V8, Porsche running a 4.6 liter twin twin turbo V8, Cadillac running a 5.5 liter normally aspirated V8. Yeah, because they have the BOP, right? IndyCar is not going to do BOP, and, and I don't blame Nor them for it. not d- doing that. That complicates everything so much more for, to be honest, no reason. But that's why, is that IMSA is manufacturer-friendly, and yeah. IndyCar is very rigid on their engine formula. They've gone from 2.2 to 2.4, but that's been it, right? Yeah. With the V6 and a, and turbo. It's, so, yeah, it's, it's very much, you're, you're having to, to fit whatever you want to design into this already existing housing, and it cannot deviate from that. We've talked about this. Every time an OEM joins Formula One or joins IMSA or whatever, the same discussion comes up. And why can't IndyCar do this, this, this? Two things. It we keep falling back on it is the amount of people watching, the popularity of the sport, and the crossover to road cars. So the technology in IMSA, look, they've created a, a formula that is enticing to manufacturers. If IndyCar had a formula that was enticing to manufacturers, we'd have more OEMs, plain and, and simple. Make no mistake, there was a lot of IndyCar people at the 24 hours that saw the popularity of IMSA right now. Will IndyCar finally get in through their thick skulls that, they yes, they do need to adjust, or are they still going to toe the line that we've seen for the, for the last several years? Well, how much is it that IndyCar has become Delora, Firestone, and Honda and Chevy, Honda and Chevy, <laughs> like for real though. And you NTT have and NTT like you. Yeah. To a lesser extent, but like Honda, Chevy, Delora, Firestone, like people are people afraid to try to go in their backyard and compete because one, these car companies aren't just throwing money around for nothing. Like it's not the 1990s or eighties when you had big budgets for these racing programs like you have to find value and prove its worth. And IndyCar is lucky to have Honda and Chevy to be yeah, honest. They're lucky to have two at this point. The, IndyCar does not offer OEMs much of anything right now. Unless the, that's the, an IndyCar problem. Unless the TV ratings double, uh, I think it's going to continue to be hard to entice these OEMs. Well, for a long time, IndyCar has tried to entice OEMs to fit and play in their sandbox. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying with Honda, Chevy, Delora, Firestone. Yeah. That's, but, I, is that well, the I issue? No, I think what they're seeing, I don't think anybody's afraid of Honda or Chevy in IndyCar. I think what they're afraid of, or not afraid, but necessarily turned off of about is, well, there's not enough people watching and I basically have to build a block engine that fits like everybody else. This is a spec series. I have no imaginative abilities here to create something that I want to create like you can in IMSA and like you get in terms of mass, mass attention and eyes on product and popularity running in Formula One. You posted this tweet, a race run at a snail's pace on a temporary track in a stadium that opened 99 years ago has more fans in attendance than any IndyCar oval outside of Indy. All that true. was your depressing tweet of the day on An, Sunday. Yeah, all true. Uh, Plan spades at 65% capacity nonetheless. Almost like properly marketing the sport and the drivers makes a difference. 
not to mention making the sport relevant year round. Well, that's true. Uh, Rob Call just sent a Scott Dixon gif of him giving the thumbs down. Rob McMahon with Ralphie putting his head and his hands on the desk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jamin T14. Well, that's kind of sad. Yeah. Uh, ben Smith for real. Novelty factor. Yes, I'd say the novelty factor year one. But this year, I kind of wonder if they'll be back next year. I haven't seen anything uh, saying they will or won't. I but. say they're back next year because they have a three-year deal. Well, NASCAR is an option, don't they, uh, for the third year? But I, I think they'll be back. It wasn't. A, it was. A, it was not good, but it wasn't a complete cluster. Um, but ratings were down fifteen percent. The crowd was terrible during the heats, but I thought it filled out pretty well by the time the main. And came for at the night. main, I mean, it ran so late that they were in a better TV window. And it's as still, far as prime yeah. time, but the rating was still down. Uh, Nick J. Fletcher says, I see your point, but we also have to keep in mind that this is in the heart of the second most populous city in America. Closest thing IndyCar has done that to on an oval is 45 to 60 minutes from Chicago uh, when they ran at Chicagoland back in the day. Slap Iowa Speedway at night in downtown LA, and I think the turnout is similar. No, I don't think so. I, I don't know. Because you'd have I think, to market it. Well, also, NASCAR at least... And NASCAR races on an oval in Southern California. Yes. For well, now. With, they did with Fontana. They did, and then they're, they're re- redoing that. But well, IndyCar maybe. does not on an oval. I get that they're at Long Beach, but that's a different type of crowd. And IndyCar's fan base is in the Midwest, just like NASCAR's fan base is in the, the South and the Mid-South. That's the, the core of their base, along with the Midwest yeah. to a lesser extent. I don't think the crowd at the LA Coliseum for the Clash can be can be compared to crowds at Iowa or Gateway in the sense of people saying, well, yeah, if you move that race to L.A., of course, they'll get more people. It still says that there's a problem that nobody's going to oval races in IndyCar. That's the point, no matter where they are. And it, that doesn't seem like something that's going to get better because it wasn't a problem before you weren't you weren't going. Well, there's 60,000 people at all these ovals, but you know, now all of a sudden it's a problem because it's not in a major metropolitan area? That's all I'm saying. You posted this poll. It's a great, great question. Which venue or location holds an added IndyCar race first? The options, Thermal Club, Argentina, Milwaukee, and Homestead. 52% of you said Milwaukee. That's what I chose. 26% Argentina, 14% Thermal Club, 8% Homestead. Uh, some responses here. Hunter's Way 67. Probably Milwaukee, but I'd rather see Homestead. The series needs another high-speed oval. I think they need an oval where fans, where fans go. can get to, and that's <laughs> Milwaukee. I, Homestead, yeah. I like the idea of racing there I just because you can have an earlier date, but be. it's so far away from Miami, and it's just it feels like one of those out-of-sight, out-of-mind well, tracks. And don't pretend just because if it was in Miami or close to Miami, people would go because nobody's showing up for Miami Marlins games. True. <laughs> N.K. Harden, I think all of these are a strong possibility in the next two years, so that's encouraging. I think we see Milwaukee next year on the schedule. Yeah. I, I feel I 99% Argentina. confident. Argentina, I'd probably say I'm 75 to 80% confident. Thermal Club in the next two years, no. Homestead, no, just because it's owned by NASCAR. Thermal Club, look, they got to do a lot of upgrades, and I think that's what's holding back like I, I just don't think the drivers are going to be cool with Armco barriers, and they're going to want some yeah. more. Like the safety upgrades, I think will hold that back a bit. I think it were a good three plus years out of even entertaining a race. At as far as a points paying race, maybe an exhibition thing, like they talked about, yeah, pro am thing. Yes, yeah. that is a possibility. But a points paying race, I think we're further away. Thanks to everyone for their submissions on the mailbag. Time for news and notes. Uh, congrats to Colin Kaminsky. He joins Able Motorsports. He'll be in the number 57 car in the series formerly known as Indy Lights this season. 19 full-time cars. That's going to be... Or, well, 19 at St. Pete. At St. Pete. I think okay. one is so like hopefully, a part-time. Hopefully we're not down to 11 by this end of True. the season. Uh, Will Power and Verizon and Team Penske. They'll continue with a multi-year extension. Uh, Verizon on the car. They'll be full-time uh, once again. The primary sponsor for Power. All 17 races this upcoming season. That's good news there. That's a relationship that has done wonders for IndyCar, for power, just the, again, relevant tech, right? They've used it with the app. 
over yeah. the years, and I'm sure that's been a very good relationship uh, there that's been been positive. So uh, that's one of the things. Also news on the driver front, uh, this from therace.com. Robert Schwartzman expected to have another uh, test. He will test with Ganassi. That's the latest there as he will look. They're going to have to find that replacement for Alex Pillow. Yes, which we all know is coming. Yes, Marcus Erickson got his baby Borg last week uh, during the Thermal Club test, so always fun to see drivers get that opportunity. Uh, TSN and TSN Plus, Canada's new home for, this is IndyCar's words, so Canadian fans, please tell me if this is not true. Uh, Complete live coverage of the NTT IndyCar series, including the Indianapolis 500, Honda Indy Toronto, is this good? I don't know. Canadian listeners, please tweet us. <laughs> I know email TSN us, we'll is a you. big deal in yes. Canada. Uh, it's one of the two biggest networks or the two biggest sports networks in Canada, right? Uh, yeah, I know so it's big on ho- with hockey. TSN will have eight races available on national television feeds, including St. Pete's, the Indy 500, and the Honda Indy Toronto. TSN Plus will have live coverage of all 17 races. Sounds like a peacock type thing. Yeah, I th- I th- that sounds decent, but our, our Canadian brethren need to let us know yes. if that's a raw deal Insider-gaming.com. So we had the teaser last week on the IndyCar game. We got a few more details. Uh, this says that there will be championship mode, quick play, online modes for players. As far as the game itself and any details, not a lot out. Game's still in development, according to the article. Of course. Things within the game likely to change. Uh, the build that we saw last week is from October. New and expected to be pushed for testing in the near future. Main menu also has been updated. But Motorsport Games, IndyCar Games, scheduled to launch still in 2023. Current internal plan is to release in late spring or early summer, likely in June or July. So not in May, because they initially said they wanted to get yes. out in May. Uh, hopefully it comes out mid-season. The one first warning, well, in in reading this story, the first warning sign was the fact that you can only do one season at a time. Uh, Formula One game, you either can inherit an existing team or be the 11th team in Formula One, and you grow your team through multiple seasons and blah, 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 and it carries over. Same with NASCAR, Heat, from what I understand. Uh, I don't have Heat, but I have Formula One. Now you could just play, apparently in this game, just one season, which is already antiquated. Um, unlocking various cosmetic awards, something that said you can in- include custom helmets for drivers. It's like bare bones type stuff. And I know hopefully we get a a better preview, more in-depth preview of what this is going to look like. But right now it just doesn't seem too intriguing. Like I'll probably buy it regardless just to support the series, but you hope that there's more more depth to the game than what this story has has pointed out. Now, admittedly, the story says they haven't gotten a look at the game since what November of last year, uh, October. So um, they ex- they hope to get a a look at the build as soon as uh, this month at some point. But yeah, they're going based off basically three or four month old information. So. Maybe Motorsport Games will surprise us. I wouldn't mind a game that has some DLC and downloadable content based on other things, but hopefully it's it's it has more depth than what we're hearing. This end from Ray Hall Letterman, Lanigan Racing. So we're recording a day early, uh, just due to our schedules this week, on Wednesday, February 8th, uh, Wednesday evening here in the U.S. But Ray Hall will have an announcement Thursday morning, 11 a.m. Eastern time. So I'll be curious. I'll have a Facebook live for that. I'll be curious what that is for. Seems like a pretty big deal. Could it be something with their shop? Could it be car reveals? Who knows? But something to Maybe keep in mind. Maybe they're announcing a Formula One team. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe all the other teams yeah, are okay. announcing, you know, their car Can reveals. Can we get a comment from Michael Andretti? <laughs> <laughs> A few other notes to get to. First off, from last week's Racer.com mailbag, as far as the schedule, Pruitt says IndyCar known to have some new venues or returns to familiar ones that previously worked in mind. Huh. So don't lose hope, a.k.a. So, Milwaukee. Milwaukee, yeah. And then the new venues, I would assume Argentina. Argentina, hopefully. After that, not sure. I know Denver's been thrown out there, but it doesn't seem yeah, like there's any... that doesn't seem like far enough. ...any traction. 
Uh, you mentioned this about a new Indy 500 entry, a cool possibility for another Indy 500 entry this year that I've been asked to keep the lid on. And if that happens, IndyCar fans just might like it. Teaser. Is he being, uh, well, he's obviously being coy. Is he, is he purposely saying it may, it's not a huge deal? Like if he said, oh, he would definitely love it. I don't know. I'm reading too much into it. Who just do, who, might who, like who it. I have just no might idea. Like it. Uh, I don't know. Like no we talking Sarah Fisher coming back? I doubt it. We talking? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think. I mean, Danica's retired. Um, someone coming over from NASCAR seems too late in the game. For yeah, that, doesn't it? it? It does. I have no idea who who this would be. The here's who I would throw out. Mm-hmm. Gabby Chavez. Maybe I, I, mean, I mean, just might like it. Like yeah. it's not teasing. Like it's a huge thing. But he has had success yeah. at Indy. Um, that would be my yes. As far as entries that we know, so the third Ray Hall car, and everyone's pinpointed Ryan Hunter Ray is a strong and, possibility. And could there. that announcement come as soon as tomorrow? From what we're hearing, who knows? That's that's true. Um, and then we have the second Ryan Reinbold car. After that, everything's up in the air. Yeah, so could it be... Who knows? We'll see what uh, what comes about. And if, if nothing happens, then it, we'll never know. More races for Cusick Motorsports possible. Marshall's saying they're waiting to get through Indy before settling on whether to do more, but if they venture out, I look for the closing rounds at Portland and Monterey. Yeah, this is, say, on Tom Blonquist, IndyCar Future. Barring something unforeseen, I have Tom Pencil in as one of MSR's two IndyCar drivers next year. So that means that Elio or Simon would be out. Or and, both. And we've, or both. We've talked about that. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like Simon could have a bounce back year, keep that seat. I could see Elio, even in a bounce back year, th- saying this is my last year in terms of full-time competition. I could see that. And then still run the Indy 500. Correct. And look, teams will be trying to, to get him to oh, keep Shank running. Oh, Shank would still keep him around oh, yeah. to run that race. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and then do sports cars full-time. Yes. And then Chris Medlin had this on F1 reserve driver Pietro Fittipaldi. I wouldn't say it's by choice that Pietro isn't racing elsewhere. He came close to an IndyCar deal for this year, and that was his focus mm. until the F1 reserve role. I, uh, I, I'd love to see Pietro back in IndyCar. I think he's done a very solid job in Formula One with his limited opportunities. Yes, and I, I think, I mean, IndyCar, it feels like it, it was one of those, he never had the, the full opportunity just because of the the injury that he had in what a sports car race and it just never yeah, the one where the felt like they, out. yeah broke his leg yeah. so it just it never felt like after that he, he battled through but that was kind of it who would he fit he felt did he fill in for george russell in formula one no he would have been for grosjean for? okay yeah i think right a race a job. or two yeah but i i hope he gets another shot in any car but on the other hand I hope he gets an F1 ride chase, first. To chase that dream till yeah. all avenues are closed. Uh, this from IndyCar Deep Throat. So I, I think I've teased this like a week or two ago. Just forgot. Interesting note from a, a source from IndyCar Deep Throat. Um, it sounds like uh, one of the IndyCar teams, and you can connect the dots if you, you do this. I don't want to give this away. But one of the IndyCar teams had conversations with BMW this offseason Outside from IMSA conversations, looks like the Cadillac and Andretti partnership is starting to have some manufacturers looking at full-time partnerships. So the Andretti Cadillac agreement could be opening more talks or other team slash OEMs across multiple yeah. series. Yeah, including IndyCar is a possibility. And again, you can connect the dots. As far as the yeah, team. look at the teams that are uh, in other series in IndyCar and see who they're badged with and who potentially would be interested. So an intriguing thing, you know, Deep Throat brought us a few weeks ago that Cadillac's looking at not just F1, but F1, IMSA, IndyCar, all with Andretti. And it makes sense to be all under the same brand. Right. Because it's one thing to have an IMSA team uh, like Andretti has with what Acura and Wayne Taylor right now, yeah. and then Honda and IndyCar. So it's synergy right there. And I get that Wayne Taylor is a Cadillac team for a long time. Right. So do they go back to Cadillac and IMSA? Andretti has 
Cadillac and F1 if that ever goes through. Yeah. And then Cadillac and IndyCar. It would just make things a lot easier for these teams if across across all disciplines you're racing you have the same manufacturer if that possibility is there. Yes. And I'm, I'm not sure saying it's it's impossible. I mean, we see it with Penske, yeah, with Porsche I mean, and IMSA and it's then not terrible, Chevy and IndyCar, Ford and NASCAR. Ideally if they're competitive in each one and you you compete in each one, why not just pair up and partner in every single one? It's great branding and it avoids confusion. Yeah, and you don't have to keep changing your shirt. Also true. Yes. <laughs> the logos stay the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the sponsors change, but yeah. the, don't the logos stay the same. Different apparel for different series you're racing <laughs> and competing in. Absolutely. Time for tweets of the week. Jack Harvey, speaking to Ray Hall, having your wisdom teeth out is no joke. Hello, soft food. But who else can say there's an Indy car hanging from their dentist ceiling? And of course, Dr. Jack Miller, the Crest uh-huh. car that came to my elementary school when I was yes. in like fourth grade. The car did? It was like a show car. Right, but still, that's pretty yeah. cool for an elementary And, and, came and some, some kid was like, he asked, you know, we're all grouped together and he asked, you know, how many times a day are you supposed to brush your teeth? And I just remember some kid raised their hand and said three times. And I thought, uh, what? Like, I was like, what? what but is it's this correct, kid right? No, it's two times. Well, two, but yeah. who's brushing their teeth three yeah, times? Yeah, exactly. Morning yeah. and bedtime. Yeah. Uh, for for whatever reason, ten year old Caleb that stuck with him and will never leave. Did you boo him? No, I just thought like, what does this kid say? Like I was so confused. Like what? There was no. always that one kid that had to go brush his teeth after lunch at school, though. Yeah, that seemed to be a thing. Yeah, that was that, not maybe it was that kid. Uh, Robert Wickens. Okay, real talk. Alexander Rossi was Saint Pete on purpose, and it's a photo of them talking at the Thermal Club last week. Great uh, question. Yeah, great tweet. Uh, hopefully we see Robert Wickens soon, huh? Yes, I hope so. And maybe 2024, it happens. All right, time now for our random split air driver of the week. Yes, we're going to the 1996-97 season. Of course, it was that season that carried over. And we're going with Steve Kinzer. I've heard of him. Yes, I know, because he's huge in World of Outlaws. Yeah, he, I knew he ran like on the short tracks, you know, in what sprint cars or whatever. Yeah, so he did. Uh, he was a professional, really sprint car driver, but did one race with Arizona Motorsports, also Sinden Racing Services. That was Which, the team. Sinden Racing did the two seater for a bit, really, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, raced the 1997 Indianapolis 500 is what he did, and actually didn't finish that bad when you look at it. Uh, finished 14th. At the Indianapolis 500. Started 20th that year. The only race he did in the 96-97 season. And was pretty impressive. And uh, when, when you look at it, was also did some cup races. Uh, wasn't very good. But in terms of Indy Racing League that year, the 14th place finish. But as we mentioned, World of Outlaws. He's won 20 championships in World of Outlaws. This is wild. So I'm looking at his stats. Uh, his first championship came back in 1978 and his last championship came in 2005. So yeah. first off, that's insane. But his 1987 season, he had 46 wins. 46, right? That's his a lot last of wins. race win came back in 2014. That was his last full-time season. He was eighth in points. Yeah. And then in 2015, he was 19th, did not win a race. And that was his final you know, time competing. But I mean, this guy's been around forever. He's 68 years old. That means he was running into his sixties, Bloomington native. So a, a Hoosier, but he is well thought of. He, he's won Knoxville nationals record 12 times gold cup race of champions, 12 times and 87 when he won 46 features, he won 12 in a row in 24 of the last 26 events, right? Kings Royal at Eldora. He's won that seven times. Just dominated. Uh, the stats are a, unbelievable. It's a, it's a racing family. Um, let's see. His uh, his second cousin once removed was Sheldon Kinzer, who competed in kart and raced in the 500 six times. Uh, so this is a very well-to-do family. But when you look at Steve Kinzer, oh, only raced one time in in the IRL and v- was very much a random split error driver of the week. But if you know, in terms of sprints and, and world of outlaw stuff, very, 
very well-known dude and from Bloomington, Indiana as well. Yeah. And again, you mentioned his son, uh, Craig. Um, he had success, obviously. Mark Kinzer, uh, his cousin, Kelly Kinzer, um, all running World of Outlaws. The other thing is he is not the oldest World of Outlaws winner. Really? That was broken by Dave Blaney ah. uh, back a couple years ago. Age 58, Dave Blaney won a World of Outlaws feature race at Sharon Speedway in May of 2021. So Kinzer won uh, in 2012 at Williams Grove Speedway, the age of 57. So he, he was the, as far as winning a feature race. So he actually tried to make the 1981 Indianapolis 500 as a rookie, but crashed in practice. Okay. I, I remember him from that too. So yeah. Incredible career and a great choice for a random split air driver. Has won a, a race at Talladega as part of IROC. So, um, yeah, very, very storied career for Mr. Steve Kinzer. On the, on, the, on the outside, you'd think, who is this guy in terms of IndyCar, but a very, very well-accomplished and storied career elsewhere for Mr. Kinzer. This week's random split air driver of the week. All right, that wraps up this week's episode. We'll be back next week for the latest and greatest in IndyCar news. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. This has been New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.